Welcome to the Lubar Executive Education Podcast. In this episode, we will be talking about how business leaders can revitalize and restore the communities and economies where we live and work. With me today is Storm Cunningham, the world's thought leader on community revitalization and natural resource restoration. Storm is the executive director of the Reconomics Institute and the editor of Revitalization, the Journal of Economic and Environmental Resilience. He has authored three books and spends much of his time as a keynote speaker and workshop facilitator. Storm tracks the latest trends and techniques in urban and rural regeneration, natural resource restoration, and resilience worldwide. His specialty is inspiring leaders and stakeholders to effectively engage in the process of local revitalization. Welcome, Storm. Thank you for taking time to be with me today. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on your show. Can you start us off with some perspective on the scope of the global restoration economy and share a little bit about the work you do with the Reconomics Institute? Yeah, well, the global restoration economy is kind of hard to measure. Most people think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of about two, three trillion dollars a year because that encompasses all aspects of bringing places back to life, urban redevelopment, infrastructure renewal, fisheries restoration, watershed restoration, brownfields cleanup and redevelopment, war and disaster reconstruction. It covers so much. The problem is that nobody's really measuring it properly. Most of this stuff gets stuck into budgets like capital improvements or maintenance. We don't look at our life cycle redevelopment in all three modes. You know, we measure how much new stuff we do and we measure how much maintenance and conservation we do. Those are the first two parts of the life cycle. But the last part of the life cycle, which is where we reuse places, reconnect, repurpose, you know, renovate, re- redevelop, regenerate, revitalize, all of that re-stuff, we don't measure that. So it's actually the fastest growing and healthiest part of our economy. And most of us don't even know it, even though we're surrounded by it. When I went through business school, we talked a lot about the purpose of a business is to maximize shareholder value or profit. Luckily today, we have more leaders and organizations who realize they have a responsibility to also serve the community they operate in and society in general. How can leaders boost economic growth and resilience simultaneously? Well, that's the great thing about restorative development and all this re-stuff is that you can make just as much money restoring the world as you can destroying it. It's actually a real business opportunity. The problem that we had before was when people were saying that businesses uh, have no business doing good things for the world, you know, that the purpose of business is to make a profit and to reward their shareholders. At that time, they were thinking of doing good stuff as being conservation. You have just setting aside land just for nature without humans touching it and all these other more expensive ways of doing business that added cost. But that's that's really just kind of the old sustainable development paradigm, which is based on doing less damage. And we can't have a brighter future in this world if our highest goal is simply to damage it less than we have in the past. <laughs> The key to having a brighter future is to restore and revitalize, undo the damage, not just do less damage. So we need to move from sustainable development. I mean, look at the mess the world's in right now. Who needs to sustain this? We need to revitalize and restore. So we need to restore to development. And the great thing is, like I said, you can make just as much money doing it. There are tons of companies out there that are 
remediating and redeveloping brownfields and restoring ecosystems for a living. I mean, they make billions of dollars. You've got projects like the Everglades restoration. It's over $15 billion. You know, we're talking big money here. Absolutely. So with the global restoration economy estimated somewhere between two and $3 trillion and growing, there's no shortage of opportunities for organizations to do something or create something to benefit customers as well as the environment. Given your research and expertise on current trends, what products and services are you seeing a current or growing need for? Well, the biggest gap that remains unaddressed un, uh, is really kind of in the, the softer area of, of process. You know, we've got tons of engineers and architects out there, you know, cleaning up contaminated sites, renovating old buildings, you know, all kinds of technical expertise that are bringing ecosystems and fisheries back to life. The big gap, though, is in when you start talking about the larger goals of revitalization and resilience, the things that the communities, the regions, the entire nations want. They want to be more resilient. They want their economy to be more vibrant. And there's this huge gap there in that they don't actually have a process for doing that. So if you talk to any business person who, let's say, manufactures something, whether it's cars or clothing or peanut butter or whatever, they have a process for doing that. They know how to get raw ingredients, they transport it, they process it, they package it, they distribute it, there's a process to that. Everybody knows that to reliably produce anything, you need a process. Everybody except that is the people who run our country, people who run our states, people who run our communities. Then when they start talking about, we're going to produce revitalization, every, every politician promises revitalization, but you ask them, okay, what's the process you're going to use to actually reliably produce that for us? What's going to take it from a campaign promise to reality? And uh, figure, well, we'll do just a bunch of good projects and kind of hope that revitalization magically appears if we just do a lot of good stuff. So you, I go to these cities all over the world that have numerous huge projects, big redevelopment projects and all kinds of things that should bring the community back to life, but it doesn't happen, even though they spent millions, sometimes billions on all this activity, because they don't actually have a process for producing that end result. What we do at Reconomics Institute is we train and certify people in that process so that no matter where they are at any level, they can show up at, as a volunteer at a community meeting and plug that gap. When politicians start talking about how they're going to create resilience and revitalization, they can ask those intelligent questions. Do you have this? Do you have that? Do you have a vision? Do you have a strategy? Do you have projects? Do you have appropriate policies? Do you have partnerships? All of these things have to be regenerative in nature. And if they don't, then these people who've been certified as revitalization and resilience facilitators can step in, either professionally. You know, a lot of our facilitators are professionals in other fields, you know, lawyers, architects, planners, or, or they can just do it because they love their community and want to see it come back to life. It sounds a lot like typical change efforts. Most of them fail, right? Because they're not following the right process uh, and they're not seeing everything all the way through. Yeah. I, um, I wish they had a process to not follow. You know, they, it's not, it's not even a matter of having not the right process. They have none at all. So understanding most revitalization efforts are, are failing or maybe not achieving as much as they should be achieving, which is sad to hear, what success stories can you share where revitalization goals were met along with a solid return on investment? And what else can organizations do on top of what you've already mentioned 
during the implementation phase to increase its chances of success? Well, the first community I ever ran across that had created a complete revitalization process and that had dr dramatically revitalized as a result was Chattanooga, Tennessee. I wrote a case study on that in my second book, Rewealth, that came out from McGraw-Hill in 2008. And at that time, everybody was talking about the Chattanooga miracle. This is a city that uh, you're probably too young to remember Walter Cronkite, uh, but uh, yeah, at one time he was the most famous news announcer in America. And he got on national TV and said, Chattanooga is the filthiest city in America. And that kind of shamed them, but although it was perfectly accurate. Uh, you had to drive with your headlights on in the middle of the day. The air was so filthy. They had all kinds of problems, crime problems, racial problems. They were hemorrhaging jobs like crazy. I mean, the city was going down the toilet at an incredible rate. And they decided they were going to turn around the situation, especially after being embarrassed by Walter Cronkite. And they decided that cleaning up their air was going to be the first thing. And the EPA had just gotten started at the time they started this work. And the process of cleaning their air and winning the EPA's first clean air award convinced them that they could actually work together. Up till then, there was a community that had no sense of community. And all of a sudden, rich and poor, black and white and brown, everybody had worked together on cleaning up their air and winning this national award. And they said, well, where do we go from here? Well, let's revitalize the whole place. And they put together an ongoing program. That's one of the key elements of the process. You can't just do stop, start, stop, start project by project. You've got to have an ongoing program that gathers momentum. So that each year that goes by, you've got you can see that the place is getting better and you're inspiring confidence in the future of the place, which is the single most important outcome. Nothing is more important to a community than increasing people's confidence in its future, because that's what attracts investment. It attracts employers, it attracts residents, and it hemorrhages the loss of them. So um, they put together the ongoing program, a vision, a strategy. They changed their policies to be revitalization friendly. They put together great public-private partnerships. And as a result, they got these wonderful projects like their waterfront aquarium that was on a brownfield became just world famous. And so it was the first complete process. Unfortunately, they didn't even know that that's what they were doing. Uh, nobody had ever presented them with a complete process. So they just had really good instincts. So what I've done in my most recent book, Reconomics, is I've documented this process, which has emerged in dozens of cities around the world, but it was always kind of locally made. Nobody had a template to work from. So I'm providing that template so people don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. That's an inspiring story. And it's great that you created that book to give us a logical pathway and a logical progression to follow uh, in the future and give other organizations and communities uh, some guidance on what to do. One of the ways I like to round out our podcast episodes is by providing listeners with some advice or tips to try immediately, if not a specific call to action. What would you recommend to leaders listening today if they want to get more involved revitalizing the community and enhancing its resilience? Well, you're going to be shocked to hear this, but I'm going to recommend they read my book. They could get certified as a revitalization resilience facilitator, which only costs $299, but that's probably more work than a lot of folks want to go to. Just reading Reconomics, 
they'll learn how to put together that process, but they'll also learn the importance of each individual element of it. For instance, having a vision. Every community is doing visioning sessions these days. And they think having a vision is going to revitalize them. No, it's not. <laughs> that's just a daydream. You know, that's uh, if you want if you want to actually do something, your vision has to be accomplished, uh, accompanied by a strategy. And if there was only one thing a local leader were to do, it would be learn what the heck a strategy really is, because everybody uses the word, and hardly anybody actually knows what a strategy is. You know, I talk to these mayors who say, "Oh, we're going to revitalize." And I say, oh, what's your strategy? And they reach up onto the shelf and pull down a 300-page comprehensive plan. Say, here it is. Say, no, that's a plan. What's your strategy? And I say, oh, yeah, well, okay. Yeah, our strategy is to uh, boost our quality of life and attract more jobs. And I say, no, that's a vision. Those are adjectives and nouns. Where are the verbs, the strategies? How are you going to actually overcome the primary obstacles to achieving that vision? That's your strategy. That's the key thing. Learn what a strategy is. A strategy, in most cases, a good one is not going to take up more than a few sentences. Because if you can't remember your strategy, it's not going to guide your decisions. And communicating it is going to be a lot easier if you keep oh, yeah. it short uh, <laughs> instead of one of those big binders that's probably collecting dust on a shelf somewhere, right? Yep. Well, Storm, thank you so much for being on the Lubar Executive Education Podcast and sharing some information and ideas on how we can all take part in revitalizing the world and economies at the same time. If you're interested in more information on this topic, please visit Reconomics.org, give Storm's books a read, and consider becoming a facilitator. In closing, I'd like to take a moment to thank our listeners. We wish you the best of luck as you move forward on your leadership journey. Please check back regularly for additional episodes.